0: Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch Means it's time for the one and only Big 6 Here on 104.5 The Zone Glad to have you with us My name is Jason Martin You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone Say it every night It's important I'm blessed beyond measure All reasonable and otherwise Hope you recognize that you are as well That's a conversation you want to have further My tweets, my DMs wide open on Twitter At jmartzone Would love to talk about it with you further So the Magic Johnson story, of course, is out there everywhere and sounds like the Lakers are even worse than we thought in terms of an organization, and there's definitely stuff to say there. Game of Thrones came to an end last night, and guess what? Even though you didn't like it, you still woke up today. The sun was shining. It was warm outside. Trees are still here. Buildings are still here, and your life moves on, but we'll talk about it. A little bit later on, by the way, and this will probably be out either later tonight or tomorrow. I spoke for a little bit over an hour. I was a guest on the Big Leads podcast. Bobby Burak hosts that. Uh, talked all Game of Thrones and TV with him. And so that'll be something to check out as well. But I want to talk about something that came to mind this weekend. Watching two athletes in individual sports dominate. Deontay Wilder and Brooks Kepka. Wilder with the knockout of Brazil 2 minutes and 17 seconds into the first round. And Brooks Kepka with the knockout of everybody on the PGA Tour yet again to defend his PGA Championship. He's already the defending U.S. Open champion. And now he's won four of the last eight majors in a sport where it's hard to win one ever in a 20-year career. And the reason why I was thinking about this is these two guys are now officially doing things that at least put them in conversations that start to make everybody back away when you start mentioning certain names. There are names that seem like they're sacrosanct in terms of what they mean to that sport. And so in the case of Deontay Wilder, who has 40 knockouts in 42 fights, and I still don't know how Dominic Brazil was actually still on his feet after the first shot, but that brought down his hands. it brought down his guard, And then he got clocked, and it was over. But we're starting to see, for the first time in a long time, with this kind of punch power, this kind of aggression, and sort of a feeling of, all right, it's dangerous to get in the ring with this guy because he can knock you out, and that'll be done. You just finish your career right there in one shot. And, of course, the promos that he cut in the lead up, and I call them a promo because it felt like a wrestling promo to me. He might have meant it, but he talked about how boxing is a sport where you can get away with murder. He doesn't like this guy, so if he kills him, so be it. Like, that's, that's something else. But is it over the top, or is it trying to sell fights in a sport that it's kind of hard to sell fights unless you're Conor McGregor or Floyd Mayweather at this point? So I don't know. I felt like there was a lot of pro wrestling and theatrics in that, and so I appreciated it on that level. But what this guy is doing is channeling Mike Tyson. And I, I mean the early Tyson, the Michael Spinks Tyson the one that showed up 30 seconds later he was already in the corner and the fight was over the one that led to one of the most famous video games of all time the one long before many of the legal troubles and his own cartoon on Adult Swim and all of the things that we've seen him do The Hangover and he's had some kind of a redemption story I mean he's still kind of On the Dennis Rodman scale of crazy, he's not completely off the charts, but he does have a face tattoo, so it bears some level of mention that he's an eccentric guy, to say the least. But he was also dominant there for a long period of time. But you don't ever want to say who's the next Tyson. You don't want to invoke that name because nobody's ever going to be Tyson in the eyes of many people. But I'm here to tell you that Deontay Wilder has a lot of Tyson in his sport in his game, in his brand, in what he's doing. This is the first time we've seen somebody on a heavyweight level that really does pack the kind of punch that you want to see. Chicks dig the long ball. We love the slam dunk in basketball. We love the long bomb touchdown passes. Or the Marshawn Lynch running through somebody's face. The beast mode run. The Derrick Henry two hundred you know thousand yard rushing that he gave us against the Jaguars on Thursday night football. We like all that stuff. So we like the knockout. That's why Floyd Mayweather fights turn out to be underwhelming 90% of the time unless you're just a fan of the strategy of the sport because he's a defensive boxer. Pacquiao was a little bit different. And one of the reasons that we look back so fondly on Gotti Ward is that those guys were so aggressive. We weren't expecting them. Most of us didn't know who they were, but they went out and just went for broke. And it was so refreshing to watch from that respect. But Deontay Wilder is doing similar things. And then there's the other guy, this Brooks Kepka guy, who's won four of the last eight majors on the PGA Tour, almost won five had it not been for really just one thing that went awry for him at Augusta in the final round that gave Tiger Woods what he needed to actually get the job done. Brooks Kepka is doing things that make no sense right now. He's a guy who early in his career was well over par. Nobody was paying attention to him. He didn't have anything that made him stand out. And then all of a sudden he just started winning. And I mean winning big on majors. And he doesn't even care about showing up in some of the B tournaments. He'll show up and just play average golf. Then he shows up in the majors. He's the greatest thing you've ever seen. And so the name that you invoke when you're watching something like this, and I know it's uncomfortable to say just because, this guy was never supposed to exist again is Brooks Kepka is dangerously close to feeling a lot like Tiger Woods in his prime I have never seen anything like the dominance I saw from Eldrick around the turn of the century what he did at Pebble, what he did at Bethpage what he would do at Augusta when he was on fire, when he was rolling, St. Andrews wherever, he would just annihilate the field, he would take the trophy and run, and it would be over and there have been a lot of folks that have been anointed the next Tiger Woods, whether it was Rory McElroy or Jordan Spieth or for a short time, Jason Day, or maybe it was Adam Scott for a little while, or maybe it was Justin Rose, Justin Thomas. I mean, the names go on and on and on. And then they would falter. And then early on, it was Sergio Garcia, like very early. And all of them would falter. And if they ever had to play next to Tiger Woods, they would crumble right before your very eyes. All of them. Brooks Kepka played with Tiger on Thursday and Friday and didn't just beat him. He abused him. Plus two for Tiger on Thursday, minus seven for Kepka. And then in double figures for Kepka on Friday while Tiger was plus five. And Tiger was able to play with Brooks Kepka vicariously on Saturday and Sunday because he was watching it at home like all the rest of us. And even when Kepka was a little bit mortal yesterday, hit a couple of errant shots that he wasn't able to recover from, eventually Dustin Johnson crumbled and Kepka still was able to win that thing by a couple of shots. And so you've got Deontay Wilder that feels a lot like Tiger Woods. At least to me. He doesn't have the same level around him because the hype is different. The sport is not what it once was, but people are starting to know who the bronze bomber is. They're paying a little bit more attention and the sport can certainly use it. I mean, look at the other combat fighting sport, MMA and, and what's happening in UFC without Conor McGregor and without Ronda Rousey. When Ronda Rousey lost to Holly Holm, a lot of money was lost by Dana White and by UFC. For the future, because they have never been able to find another star like either one of them. They both had their flaws, but McGregor could sell anything because of, obviously, just the outlandish size of his personality. And Ronda Rousey looked unbeatable, and her fights were watchable in 22nd bursts. You could see the entire thing. And then Holly Holm beat her, and then Misha Tate beat her. And her marketability began to drop, and she wasn't having fun anymore. All of a sudden, she disappeared, and MMA had never recovered from it. Boxing, after Tyson, what did you get? Lennox Lewis was a good fighter, but did you really care? And then Klitschko just held on to that title forever, and none of his fights were interesting, ever. And so Deontay Wilder shows up, and he's got punch power. He's got the aggression that we've been missing. It's not the defensive I guess you could call it beautiful if you want to, fighting a Floyd Mayweather. It's none of this. It's just a dude from Alabama, from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, with kind of a Southern aggression mentality that knocks people on their rear end. And that's why you watch boxing, ultimately. And so he's giving you that. And Kepka doesn't just show up in these majors. He shows up, and then you forget anybody else is on the course because of his level of dominance, he has no personality. It was funny. When I first mentioned this, somebody tweeted me and said, yeah, Brooks Kepka has no personality. How do you compare him to Tiger Woods? I said, perfectly. Do you remember Tiger Woods' personality at the, t- at the turn of the century? Because I don't. Fist pumps are not personality. We watched Tiger Woods and were fascinated because of his level of dominance and because of how unapproachable he seemed to be. How robotic he was in his answers. How... He really never had anything to say. He kept his head down, and he just went out there and killed people on the golf course. And that's what Kepka is doing now. kepka has got a nice smile, and he does want to say things, and he's upset when you're not taking him seriously. But I don't know a thing about Brooks Kepka other than he's really good at golf and that he and Dustin Johnson are friends, and they work out together because that's mentioned about every 30 seconds on these broadcasts. But that's it. I don't know anything about his family. I don't know anything about his background, except that he played college golf at Florida State. There are many things we don't know about him. And there are other personalities on the PGA Tour that we know a lot about, that we followed, that we knew relationships they had been in, or swing coaches that they had fired, and all of those things. But when it comes down to Tiger Woods, like Stevie Williams had way more personality than Tiger Woods on the course. That never bothered me. Tiger Woods is still my favorite athlete of all time. And Brooks Kepka right now has won 50% of the last eight majors played. And he's the defending U.S. Open champion. He could have already won both the majors this year instead of just one. He was within an eyelash of doing so. He'll be the favorite at the U.S. Open, as he should. He'll be the favorite at the Open Championship, most likely, as he should. When you get to a place in a sport that's as difficult as golf, where only one guy out of 100 has to be better than you, on that first couple of days or in that four-day span to beat you, and you've won four of eight majors, I don't even know how to describe or contextualize or make that make sense because it really doesn't. It's not really the way things are supposed to be. These fields are ultra-competitive. There are many talented young golfers that could be number one in the world. And then they show up at majors, and they play well. The leaderboard on Thursday and Friday in the PGA Championship up at Bethpage Black was a who's who. You've seen a couple of the guys that I mentioned when I went through that long list of who was the next Tiger Woods. I'm not saying Brooks Kepka is going to end up taking Tiger Woods down in major championships or challenging Jack Nicklaus. I am saying that this is the closest thing that we have seen since Tiger Woods to Tiger Woods just like Deontay Wilder, is the closest thing that we have seen since Mike Tyson to Mike Tyson. What Tiger did to golf courses is what Brooks Kepka is doing to golf courses, except he's better off the tee, meaning Kepka. And what Deontay Wilder is doing to opponents is the kind of thing that we remember Iron Mike for doing years and years and years ago when he was one of the most recognizable faces, not just in the sport of boxing, but in the world, period. We are watching individual athletes, even though this country is so dominated by team sports, we are watching two individual athletes simultaneously this weekend at the top of their profession in dominating just incredible fashion do what they did. And so I think it's time to kind of step back and sit there and watch this and just say, you know, I've mentioned this before, You know, we're blessed to have watched the entire career of a lot of wonderful athletes. If And you know, I'm 40. You might be older, you might be a little bit younger, but you watched all of Peyton's career, all of Tom Brady's career, all of LeBron James' career. I saw all of Jordan's career. We're watching these warriors. We're watching this dynasty take place right now before our eyes in Golden State. The list goes on and on. And individual sports, in some ways, have sort of stepped into the background outside of Tiger Woods. But we've seen all of Serena, and we've seen Michael Phelps, and we've seen Usain Bolt. And there are guys on that list, Katie Ledecky. But right now, Kepka and Deontay Wilder, on the very same day, on Saturday. Saturday, Brooks Kepka said no more to the field. Now, he came back a little bit on Sunday, but still won that thing by multiple shots. And Deontay Wilder, that was never, ever a fight. That was an amazing thing to sit there. And I I don't think that enough people have stopped and thought about the fact that those two guys doing what they're doing right now, nobody seemingly in the country is doing what they do better than those two guys are doing what they're doing. And so it's a privilege to watch. It really is. And I also don't think it's ridiculous of me to invoke those two names. Mike Tyson, Tiger Woods. When I say that, your ears poke up as a sports fan. They perk up and you start paying a whole lot of attention. Might be time to start paying attention to these two dudes as well. We'll be right back. Big 6, 104. Welcome back. Big 6 here on 104.5 The Zone. We're brought to you by Renter's Warehouse, dedicated to helping homeowners become rent estate investors by renting their homes instead of selling. Renter's Warehouse, the rent estate company was just looking at the odds for the US Open. Kepka, the favorite, 6 to 1. Tiger Woods at 9 to 1. Those are the two favorites right now. Dustin Johnson 10 to 1, Rory 12 to 1, Jordan Spieth 14 to 1, Justin Rose, Justin Thomas 16 to 1. Just to get some of the other names out there, but it's so crazy to think when you get the question, do you take ex-golfer or the field, you take the field because only one of them has to win. Only one of them has to outplay that guy to win. It's nuts. This sport is so hard to predict. But at this point, I'm to, the, I'm to the extent that if you said, Kepka in the top five or the field, I'm taking Kepka in the top five. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I'll pick Kepka to win the U.S. Open. I picked him to win the PGA one. I picked him to win at the Masters, and he came within one shot of winning. I don't know what we're watching right now, but it's special. It really is. Bucks-Raptors last night went to double overtime. That was a great physical game. Some hard fouls. Finally saw Pascal Siakam show up. Lowry fouls out early. Didn't play great. I think I saw every point he scored, and I wasn't paying that close of attention to everything he was doing until the second half. Made some key threes from the top of the circle. Kawhi was Kawhi. Had to be, of course. The bench showed up. Role players Powell gives you 19 points. That's what role players are going to do at home. They are going to show up. But the Bucs still almost beat them on a night where Giannis really wasn't very good. And one thing watching Giannis Antetokounmpo play is he does have flaws in his game. And if he's able to overcome those, then all bets are off as to how good he can be. But I'm looking at it, and what does he not have? He doesn't have a three-point shot. He really doesn't have a consistent jumper at all. And he's not a good free-throw shooter. And last night, they were able to kind of take him out of it. And he walks a lot and gets away with it. We noticed that as well as he's going down the painted area. And this was my whole argument about Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson, right now, doesn't have a mid-range game, doesn't have a consistent three-pointer, doesn't shoot 60% from the free throw line. And he really, you'd want to see him get in the high 60s, maybe even 70 or a little higher than that. Not to say that he can't develop it, but my player comparison for Zion Williamson remains Blake Griffin. A better one, one that can win a championship. I don't think Blake can win you a championship unless he's a secondary player. And I'm not saying he's not a good player. I'm saying he's not a guy that you can win with. I think Zion you can win a championship with. But I see flaws in that game that you have to look at and say, okay, well, when he learns to do this, well, John Wall never really learned to shoot. Derrick Rose really never learned to shoot consistently. Jason Kidd, the ace and Kidd thing was true pretty much throughout his career. He was ex- incredibly streaky as a shooter which is why his name was Ace and Kid, because he had no J. And so Giannis, you can actually take Giannis out of a game a little bit. And the Raptors have done a good job. That first game, they went with a 3-2 kind of antiquated zone that worked and placed a lot of bodies in front of him when he got down in the painted area. Now, if he gets in the painted area, he's got all the moves in the world. And he wants it, and I do think he's probably going to get better at these things. But you could see last night reasons why he could come up short and the bench is going to have to stand up. Luckily, they're a really deep team. But the Raptors got back into the series. It's still... Really, it's on serve, and it looked like it might be a sweep after game two. That was a game... The first game of the series is the one Toronto had and should have won. Two, they never had a chance. Last night, they showed up and didn't want to get Portlanded. And unfortunately for Portland, Damian Lillard has separated ribs. I don't think that's an excuse, but he hasn't been right since he beat the Thunder in the first round of the playoffs. He just has not looked right. Uh, But but the injury came in Game 2 of this series, so that doesn't really affect anything. McCollum has come up small. Their bench is just not enough. Nurkic is just not enough. Uh, Him not being there is a big-time loss, but they have nobody really to replace him down low. And the Warriors are out here playing their greatest hits again. And so we are still looking, I think, at Warriors-Bucks in the Finals. And there is a ridiculous argument out there that if the Warriors don't get Kevin Durant back, they've got no chance against the Milwaukee Bucks. Based on what? I'm here to tell you right now if Kevin Durant doesn't play another game this season, I'm still taking Golden State to win the championship. I know the Bucks are deep. I know Boutenholzer's a really good coach. I know. But I also know that this is a team last year that couldn't even win a road game on the playoffs at all in the East. It's a team that would have to go from first round to NBA Finals champions in one year, which never happens in the NBA. So far, the Bucs have elevated themselves a little faster than some might have expected. I think Budenholzer and some of the moves that they've made, Miritich, and some of the things that they did in free agency and some of the things that they did from an acquisition standpoint before the trade deadline have paid off into their favor. But I've seen the Warriors. The Warriors are going for their fourth championship in five years. Dan Wetzel, who's on this station a lot, put up a poll after the game on Saturday night and said, would the Warriors still be going for their fourth championship in five years even if they didn't have Kevin Durant? I think the answer is yes, unquestionably. Maybe the Rockets could have gotten him last year, but I'm still not sold on that. We've laid this case out before. James Harden and Chris Paul are not players I'm going to trust in the postseason. Durant has been fantastic. He has. He's the best player in the league. But I don't know that that means that the Warriors still aren't the best team in the league, even if he's not on the floor. But to tell me that the Milwaukee Bucks, who haven't won a championship since 1971 and barely have been in the playoffs on a consistent basis up until the Giannis Revolution, that those guys are going to dethrone the Golden State Warriors, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to see that to believe it. Especially if Draymond Green is going to play the way Draymond Green is playing right now. I have said many times, Not a fan of Draymond, think he's a fake tough guy. That was my terminology at the time. He is somebody that, he is the dude that you might have seen it in a fictional show, if nothing else, but he's the guy. He's a small, like, twerp kind of guy in this discussion that talks a lot of smack because he's got the football team as his friends because they think he's funny. Draymond Green has Hall of Famers behind him, so he can run his mouth and he can get technical fouls and he can do all of these things that he would not do as a member of the Orlando Magic, that he would not do as a member of the Indiana Pacers, that he would not do as a member of the Denver Nuggets. He does this because he's got backup in the form of the greatest shooting backcourt ever and Kevin Durant and Andre Iguodala and all of these folks. He knows. He's covered. But I'll tell you this. Even saying that, I also compared him to the Incredible Hulk in the Avengers analogy with the Warriors and said that the Incredible Hulk can be volatile and he can leave a lot of damage in his wake that can hurt you if he's on your side. He can cause a lot of problems, but he also causes other people a lot of problems. And I've never seen him play better than he did in Game 3 against Portland. He did everything. He's dropped weight. He dropped like 25 pounds in the last eight weeks of the season. I mean, he's doing everything you want. He was the MVP of that game. He might be the MVP of the series. He is talking to the young players. He's building them back up after they make mistakes. He's coaching on the floor. I have a lot of respect for what I'm seeing from Draymond Green's game right now, and he has not committed a technical foul in this series at all. It's like he knows he had to step up. And I'm telling you, he is happier without Kevin Durant on the floor. Those two guys don't like each other. This team looks like they're having fun. And I don't think that's because Kevin Durant's no fun. I just think they remember what it's like now. They remember back to 2014 and 2015 how much fun it was to move the ball around and have defenses chasing Steph Curry 32 feet away from the goal and having space to operate, making the extra pass, and a lot of guys getting touches that maybe don't. When Kevin Durant is dribble, 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 iso, 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 fall away, jump shot. Kevin Durant's the best iso player in the world. They were going to have to change the game without him being there. I like this brand a lot better than I like that brand. Just in terms of aesthetically pleasing. It's more fun to watch. And then you caveat it every time and you say, but they're not better without Kevin Durant. I still am on that side. I don't think they're better without Kevin Durant. But I'm enjoying this a whole heck of a lot more with Kevin Durant not on the floor. And I do think it is utterly ridiculous to assume that if KD doesn't come back, they have no chance against the Milwaukee Bucks. I just, I shudder to believe that people are that naive to have forgotten what this team actually possesses on it now and the experience that they possess as it relates to the NBA Finals. That is just not intelligent. The Bucks absolutely could beat the Warriors. But if you're wanting me to pick the Milwaukee Bucks over Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond and Iguadala and Steve Kerr, I don't think so, man. I don't care if Kevin Durant's on the floor or not. I mean, I care just because I don't want to see him hurt. I want to see him out there. I want to see, you know, the Warriors at I guess what you would call full strength, even though I think the series would be a lot more fun without him. But that's not going to change my prediction. The Warriors have plenty to win right now. They have enough to get this job done. And the Bucks have never, ever, ever been here before. None of them have any experience in knowing what this is going to be like. Maybe George Hill. Did George Hill play for the Spurs at one point? But, I mean, George Hill was George Hill. They don't have championship experience on the Bucks side. The Warriors have all of it. And I think that counts for more than people are giving them credit for. If Durant comes back, great. But if he doesn't, it doesn't even matter. The Warriors are gonna win the championship either way. We'll be right back. This is the big six on one oh four five. Welcome back. You're on a Monday, warm Monday. Is it summer officially yet? It certainly feels like it. We're going to be at 93 and 94 degrees later on this week. This is the Big Six. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. We'll talk a little Game of Thrones in a final segment. The story of the day in sports is Magic Johnson going on ESPN and being the only guy in the history of the world. I saw people tweeting this, and they're right. I don't know who it was, so I'm saying people. I'm sure more than one figured this out, but Magic Johnson's Twitter is one of the most boring things in the world. He says nothing. He gives you nothing other than this team won. He doesn't even explain why. He just says, this team won. What a great player Kawhi Leonard is, for example. But then he goes on, and he went full scorched earth on the LA Lakers today on ESPN. And it was very good television. It was compelling. I just want you to, I want you to hear a little bit of this because I think it's an insight into what it can be like to be in a corporate structure, in sports or otherwise. Even if you're Magic Johnson and not really having the authority to do the job that you were actually brought in to do. This is fascinating, and I think it shows why the Lakers are going to have an awful lot of trouble surrounding LeBron with talent. As much as LeBron will bring talent in, who wants to work for an organization that seems to be this combobulated and disorganized? Listen to Magic from this morning.
1: And then I start hearing, you know, Magic, you're not working hard enough. Magic's not in the office. So people around the Laker office was telling me, Rob was saying things. And Rob uh, Palenka. Rob Palenka and I didn't like those things being said behind my back that I wasn't in the office enough and so on and on. Um, so I started getting calls from my friends outside of basketball saying those things now were said to them outside of basketball. Now not just in the Laker office anymore. Now it's in the media and so on. And these are people you trust. Exactly. And people got to remember something being in this business for over 40 years. I got allies, I got friends everywhere, right? And so then when those things start happening too much, Stephen A, the straw that broke the camel's back was I wanted to fire Luke Walton. I showed her the things he did well and the things he didn't do well. And I said, listen, we gotta get a better coach. I like him, he's great, former Laker, the whole thing. So the first day, Well, let's think about second day. Okay, you can fire him. Then the next day, no, we should try to work it out. Now I got Tim involved and I said, it's time for me to go. I got things happening that was being said behind my back. I don't have the power that I thought I had to make the decisions. And I told them when it's not fun for me, when... I think that I don't have the decision-making power that I thought I had. Then I got to step aside.
0: So Magic was brought in to be the president of basketball operations because nobody knows basketball like Magic Johnson does. He's not great on TV as an analyst, but the bar is set really high. One thing I've thought about is, is the ESPN NBA countdown crew or their crew with Paul Pierce and Chauncey and Jalen Rose and Beatle Are they just terrible, or do we think that they're as bad as they are because of what they are competing against on TNT? If we could just ensure that all of playoff games, everything is done on TNT, and we could at least get the studio crew. I mean, I think Mike Breen and that crew is the best on court. I like listening to them more than anybody else. But the TNT studio stuff, the nights that I know it's going to be on ESPN, I'm always bummed. And I'm already going to be bummed going into the NBA Finals because I know we're going to be seeing that other group. We're not going to see Charles and Kenny and Shaq and EJ. And if I'm NBA TV, I take the four of them and I say, hey, come to NBA TV and comment at halftime and do an inside the NBA just on this network. And then advertise that joint on Bleacher Report and wherever else it is that you can. I bet you the viewership would be awfully high. I know that Charles will probably comment on NBA TV on a certain night, and Kenny Will and Shaq Will, they've done this in the past, but I think they need to do the whole shebang because we're missing it. But in terms of Magic Johnson, they bring him in because he knows basketball, but he's still dealing with other people that want his job, that think they're smarter than he is that aren't letting him actually run the basketball side. Tim Harris is supposed to be in charge of the business side of the Lakers along with Jeannie Buss, and Tim Harris is there helping basically save Luke Walton's job because he's friends with him. And Rob Polenka wants Magic Johnson's job. He wants to not just be the GM, but also get rid of the president of basketball operations and make all the calls there. I know he played at Michigan. I know he was part of the Fab Five. You're not Magic Johnson. No one cares who you are, as a matter of fact. And you're replacing Mitch Kupchak, who was vilified and maligned, but actually, at times, did a pretty good job. Here's my bigger thought, though. The one thing that ran through my head through all of this, and you know, Magic defended Lonzo Ball. He took Lonzo Ball. I disagreed with that pick because of so many reasons, and now we'll see. And he took Josh Hart, and he got Kyle Kuzma through a deal that they made. And he did some okay things from a basketball perspective. And he defended a lot of those in this interview. But what I want to know is, LeBron went to L.A. I'm not going to blame on LeBron, but I'm also not going to excuse him from the fact that we now know more than ever that he never thought he was going to win in L.A. this year. That this was not a basketball move. That anybody that tried to argue the opposite was wrong or was deluding themselves. Magic went for, or pardon me, LeBron went for everything not named basketball. Now, maybe in the future, it could be basketball. But when you hear the stories about how Magic didn't tell Jeannie Buss when he left, and he just kind of walked off, and then you hear about, and these are the stories. And these are stories that have kind of been out there for months. Hasn't been talked about a lot. But Rob Palenka is a guy, their GM, who would walk around the offices. He would be there on like a Monday or Tuesday morning or something like that. And Magic wouldn't be there. Magic had already told Genie when he took the job, look, I've got all these other business adventures and things. I'm not going to be in the office all the time. He's a basketball guy. I don't know how long you sit around and think about your roster all day long when it's just the basketball side of it. He puts that roster together. He makes sure they're in charge. He goes to the practices from time to time. He talks to the team. He talks to the coaches, um, gets the team ready on the floor from an executive standpoint, it's a weird job and it's one that they're not going to have going forward and that's probably a good thing because it's just too many cooks in the kitchen. But Rob Palenka would walk around the Lakers' offices and he would say stuff like, man, where's magic, man? It seems like magic's not here all that often, huh? You know exactly the implication of that. You know exactly what Rob is doing. You've either seen somebody do that or you fear somebody ever doing that to you. Or hopefully, I hope it's not you, maybe you're that guy. Or that gal. Rob Palinka wants the gig. He wants the power. Everybody wants the power. And power corrupts. That's what we saw for the last eight years on HBO is how power corrupts. And how nobody could be in charge, even ones that looked like they were doing the right thing, because ultimately it would get the better of them. That's how Game of Thrones pretty much played out. There's an entire new show on HBO It's about to start its second season called Succession. And that's all about a power struggle inside a family to see who's going to take over the equivalent of Rupert Murdoch's company because that's what that lead character was built off of. Many shows are about this. And so we're watching this Lakers drama play out, and Magic comes out, and Magic does come across like a jilted ex-lover here. He is in no way, he, at the very end of this for like six seconds, he talks about how Rob Plink is a really smart guy, and now he's got the job and he's fine with that. But before that, he said he backstabbed me. He betrayed me. He talked bad about me behind my back, and he didn't realize how many people I had on my side. And that might be a lesson for everybody. Gossip's pretty nasty, and gossip's something that's really easy to fall into that trap. Gossip's also something that's insidious in that you're really nice to somebody's face, and then you get behind their back and you say the things you wouldn't say to them. It's also... It's painful. I think Magic Johnson's hurt by this. I think he's hurt by how it went down. I think he cares about the Lakers. He also talks about how he was going to help Rob take his job because he only wanted to be there for three years, and they knew this. And he told Rob Blanca, hey, I want to get you ready to understand how to do this job to the best of, best of your ability over this next couple of years. Genie Buss, obviously in charge, and then there are two sons that also wanted a ton of power. And they went to Magic, and Magic was trying to help them out as well. I'm not sitting here defending Magic Johnson. I'm saying, I look at that and I'm like, I bet that was not a fun work environment for a guy that, outside of his talk show, has been successful in most of the things that he has tried. And a personality as big in Los Angeles as Magic Johnson, and it gets no bigger and no more powerful than Magic Johnson. In basketball and in Los Angeles in particular even he got undercut and betrayed and backstabbed and still had to deal with the same crap politics that you hate at your job by some dude named Rob Polinka who no one cared about two years ago. So just in case you're out there and you're wondering, man, nobody, or you're thinking to yourself, nobody has it worse than me. Just remember that even Magic Johnson was miserable making millions of dollars Because he still had people underneath him that were trying to cut him off at the knees. And the bigger question now is, in this day and age, athletes pay a lot more attention to what's happening in front offices, and they care about the condition of these franchises. They're smarter. They're more in tune to all of these things. Why do you think the Knicks never get anybody? That's New York, and they still don't tend to get any free agents. That's because they look at James Dolan, and they see a disaster in front of them. I think that's going to change. I think they're finally going to do something and get somebody there. But L.A., the Lakers, are going to start having increasing trouble bringing people in because today Rob Blanca basically assumed Magic Johnson's job. And when he was asked a question in the press conference, all he basically said was, Magic, it wasn't true that he and Magic have talked since he left and that everything's good. I'm going to go ahead and buy Magic Johnson's story on this one. I don't know about you. When we come back, a story came to a close last night on HBO, and people are hopping, hopping mad about it. We'll discuss. Big 6, 104.5. Final segment of the program tonight, Big 6. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to making renting your home easy, fast, and worry-free. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness But you can rent it. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. Blessed to uh, have you as part of my audience. I really am. Thank you very much. And been blessed for all the continued opportunities. I did Bobby Burak's podcast for the big lead. Should be out later tonight or tomorrow. It was about an hour, hour and ten minutes. Largely about Game of Thrones, but also relative to other TV shows, where it stands in history, all those things. It came to an end last night. This was my refrain last week when I talked about it. It's what I've tweeted about. It's what I've said about Game of Thrones all season. Very few shows go out on top. There are very few John Elways in this world. Most people are Michael Jordan with the Washington Wizards. They have to be dragged away kicking and screaming, and the same thing is true with television because as long as it's rating high, you're going to keep it on. And Game of Thrones is probably the biggest cult television show hit probably since The Sopranos, just in terms of its cultural impact. I mean, there are shows that have done bigger audiences, but it also went eight years. And you can count on one hand any amount of shows that went eight years, dramas in particular, that were still very good at the end and landed the plane properly. Most shows, three, four years in, that's their peak. Five, they're starting to look long in the tooth. Six, they feel like they're out of ideas. And so when you look at Game of Thrones going down to season eight and then not having the books to draw upon for the showrunners, D.B. Weiss and David Benioff, I continue to say, George L. R. Martin doesn't know how to end it either because he would have written the book by now instead of tweeting about the San Francisco Giants all the time or writing about, writing blogs about football. He is trying his best maybe to figure it out. Maybe he has it in his head, but he can't get it down on paper. And so people were irate they were upset. There was a petition last week of 600,000 people, I think, at last count, plus at Change.org that were demanding HBO, begging them to remake the final season because it had been ruined and Weiss and Benioff had proven themselves incompetent. And we get to the end last night, and on its face, on a logical scale, a lot of it made sense. One piece of it did, and I'm trying not to spoil it in case you haven't seen it yet. I will talk about it on a Pop Six podcast And we will go into depth on spoilers. But generally speaking, there was not going to be a good way to end this show. Because, and I told this to Bobby Burak as his guest on his podcast, I said, of the 600,000 people that were on that petition, and however many have added to it, how many of those people wanted the same ending as the rest of those people? The problem for so many people is they didn't get the ending that they wanted. The characters didn't end in the positions that they wanted them to end in. The hierarchy wasn't the way they had it in their heads. And the issue is that it doesn't matter what's in your heads. It matters what's in the people's heads that are actually producing the show because ultimately you're watching their vision, not your own. Going as long as they did. I'm surprised that it held up for as long as it did. Arguably, last season was very spotty. And had some questionable decisions. And this season was even more so. There was an argument that well, HBO wanted them to do 10 episodes, but they only wanted to do 6. Because they had their dreams of Star Wars, which they're going to put out in 2022. And people are going to think going in that that's going to be terrible. I bet you it won't be. You thought it was rushed? These people thought that was rushed? You realize that they spent the first two episodes doing nothing. Just positioning things for the Battle of Winterfell. And then to set the stage for these past few episodes, which didn't, that just kind of seemed to happen. It wasn't that they were rushed. It's that they were jumping from big moment to big moment to big moment without any kind of a road to bring those two cities together. This is the best way I know to describe it. If I'm going to Los Angeles next week, I am. If I am going to go to Los Angeles, I know how I'm going to get there. I'm going to get in a car and go to the airport. I'm going to check in at the airport. I'm going to check my bags. I'm going to go through security. I'm going to get on that air cl- on that airplane. I'm going to fly to Los Angeles, get off. I've already got a super shuttle that's going to take me to the hotel. That's going to get me from point A to point B, and there's going to be a layover in Phoenix at some point, so I'll eat in Phoenix. So I know how that's going to happen. What Game of Thrones basically just did was, I'm sitting here right now talking to you live on 104.5 The Zone on a Monday night, and I'm going to be in L.A. next week. And what we're going to do is, I'm here tonight, tomorrow I'm going to be in LA and we're not going to explain how we got from point A to point B. It felt like there was a lot missing in the middle. And I don't think it's because they rushed it. I think it's because they didn't know how to get from point A to point B, but they knew what point B needed to be. And so they wrote themselves into and then out of a narrative corner by just sort of, okay, here's what we're going to do. How I Met Your Mother did that Years and years ago, because they knew they wanted that show to end with Ted and Robin, despite the fact that Kristen Miyati's character was so likable that they should have just stuck with that and changed it. But they stubbornly decided to do it. Carlton Cuson, and Damon Lindelof famously knew from the very beginning of Lost that the last show of Lost, the last uh, shot in that series at the end was going to be Jack's eye opening, and so they had to write to that point. The middle stuff is what would have made it make sense. That was most of the arguments against this season of Game of Thrones is the stuff didn't feel like it was earned. And that critique is right. This finale was not very good. I'm not defending it. I'm just trying to provide a little nuance because it's lacking in this society. It's lacking in sports. It's lacking in pop culture. It's lacking in politics. It's lacking in everything. Sometimes I lack it. Hopefully not as much as others, but when I do, I hope you'll call me out on it at J Zone. I'm off tomorrow. Titans special. You'll enjoy that. I'll be back with you on Wednesday. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night.